Good evening, everyone. Good to be back with you and enjoy your fellowship dearly. Like our second home now. Then we're going to continue tonight in the will of the Lord in um, speaking about the judgment seat of Christ, looking at it perhaps a little different in a sense that um, was led uh, to speak about how to prepare for the judgment seat of Christ. So the last uh, couple of messages have been about that and tonight and maybe Wednesday night. We'll see how far we we get with this tonight. But I want to uh, bring you to another passage that speaks of the um, judgment seat of Christ. And we'll come back to Second Peter because I didn't finish that this morning. But I want to read another passage that uh, speaks of this doctrine, and it's found in Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five, and I'll start reading in verse nine. The apostle Paul here is speaking about. Um, the uh, the fact that uh, we ought to live by faith and not by sight. And um, he says this in verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, So we make it our goal to please Him. That's a great thing, isn't it? What a goal. Here we are, New Year's. Good time to make a goal. What should our goal be? To please Him. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, I don't think there's any contradiction to what I said this morning, and that is... There will be no judgment at the judgment seat of Christ for sin. And yet this verse says, uh, both in the uh, NIV and the King James, it says uh, we're to, to be judged for the good or the bad that we've done in our body. Now, I uh, think that this, uh, what this means is that uh, we can do good things but with the wrong motives. And I really think that that's what's going to be judged. It'll, it'll, it'll burn up. If we have, let's say we've done good things, but in the wrong motives, that'll be burned up. That won't last uh, the refining fire of God's judgment in terms of reward for us. And so I think we need to be careful, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's good to be faithful, and I really encourage that. But I think it's important that we have the right motives when we do things. I mean, I'll give you an example. If we do things to please other people, because their eyes may be on us, I think that work will be burned up. It won't last. It won't get through God's judgment, because He knows that. And that's what I believe that that verse here means. Because it's certainly not for sin, folks. It's not for sin. The judgment seat of Christ is a reward or a loss of reward. So I think we need to just be careful about our motives for doing things. And I know that I need to examine my own heart when it comes to that. 
So let's go back now to Second uh, Peter and the very first chapter of it. We looked at this this morning. We talked about faith. And we want to please God. And without faith, Hebrews 11 and 6, it is impossible to please God. So if we go to the judgment seat of Christ and our faith is weak, we're going to suffer loss there. And I like that verse in Hebrews 11 and 6 because the second part of the verse says this, and God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Friends, God is a rewarder. Of what? Of those in faith who believe God's promises. If we earnestly seek Him, God will reward that. And again, I was saying this morning, the Jews, what did they always look for? A sign. And, and, and the Lord Jesus rebuked them for that. He says, you always look for signs. And Thomas, who wasn't there, right? When he should have been. He says, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, God rewards those who earnestly seek Him, believe His promises, and take Him at His word. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters in Christ? That He'll never leave you nor forsake you? Well, we need to practice that. And things and, and His promises. But let's go back to the passage now. And it says this in uh, verse 5, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, so here we are. We're building now a foundation that uh, will get us a rich reward in heaven from Christ. So the first one is faith. And then he says, add to that virtue. Uh, virtue. Or goodness. The NAV says. Goodness. Psalm 37 and verse 2, I believe, maybe 3, says... Trust in the Lord and do good. You know what, folks? The Christian life isn't all that complicated. It really isn't. There's a verse that really could uh, capsulize all of Christian life. Trust in the Lord and do good. The, the, the Scriptures tell us that the Gospel that brought us salvation teaches us, doesn't it? The same gospel that changed your heart, Christian, also teaches you to do good. To do good. And uh, we ought not to be weary, Galatians tells us, in doing good. For in due time, what will happen? We will reap our reward. You see? And that's why the, the, the scriptures here, that Peter tells us, look, you, you built a foundation of faith. And faith is progressive. God's given us everything that we need to live this Christian life. Everything that we have. He is the master. He has delivered all the material to you. Now we have to build. Rise up and build, the Scriptures tell us. Let us build. Let us build that foundation and the characteristics that are mentioned here. And here's one. Do good. Do good. 
goodness. Uh, it's a good thing, isn't it? He has shown you, O oh man, Micah 6 and 8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. I like that. I like Bible verses that just really bring it to the point. Micah 6 and 8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. Okay, good. What, what, did, what are you showing us, Lord? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Well, there you go. That's goodness. We need to build on that. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Folks, if we do that, there'll be no surprises in heaven when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ and we're brought in. I remember uh, there was a time and before uh, I started my internship, we were uh, each individual was brought in we had had gone through, um, we had to be, uh, they had to know whether we were ready to actually see patients. And so what happened is that there was this uh, test, and it was, um, it was an oral test, and it was, uh, it was one-on-one with a, a, a team, uh, one-on-one, I mean one individual of everyone in our class going in with a team of different doctors. And you know what? They just hammered you with questions. I'll tell you sweat just you know to think you know that you were going to get uh, measured by these guys and ask questions and you had no way of knowing what questions were going to be asked you all knew it was going to be practical and clinical well you know what folks I'll tell you what you do not want to get to the judgment seat of Christ unprepared and that's what I love about the scriptures it tells us how to prepare for that how to get ready for that Add to your faith goodness. Goodness. You know, there's a passage, I was uh, talking about it this morning, about uh, Luke's, uh, in, it's found in Luke's Gospel, but it's about the rich man and Lazarus. And you know, there's a little wee uh, passage in there that talks about, and Lazarus was at the gate of the rich man. He was at the gate. He was laid there. Friend, we need to do good to those people who are laid at your gate. You know, it's, this, is, this is intensely practical in a sense that what does it mean to do good? Well, if, someone lay, if God lays someone in your path that needs help, He's at your gate. You do good to that person. You do good to that person. And you know what? Here's intensely practical in terms of goodness. The Bible says that you're worse than an infidel if you do not take care of your own. Worse than an infidel. And I know some Christians who are so holy and yet their family has been neglected. That... Uh, you know what I mean? That's it's not listen folks. It Christianity is not abstracts. This is real shoe leather Christianity. Now we're going to get judged by this folks. By the Lord Jesus himself when we go to the judgment seat of Christ. Goodness. Goodness. Romans says uh, hate what is evil 
and cling to that which is good. Cling. Like, you know what that word means? Velcro. <laughs> Goodness ought to be like Velcro to us. It sticks to us. And then it says, giving all diligence, meaning we're working hard, every effort to add to our faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. So the next one is knowledge. Knowledge. Another word could be discernment. I know a lot of people that have a lot of initials after their name. A lot of knowledge, but not less, not necessarily very wise. Do you know what I mean by that? This here is God-given knowledge. It's wisdom. It's discernment. And I really like when our brother this morning was mentioning about reading, you know, a passage, uh, you know, reading the Bible every day and going through the Bible in three years, but every day you get to read a proverb. It's a good thing to read the Proverbs, isn't it? There's where wisdom is found, isn't it? I mean, throughout the whole Scripture. But you know what Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3 says? In Him, the Lord Jesus, in Him are hidden all the treasures of both wisdom and knowledge. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I have knowledge that no one else has. I, I always look at, because, you know, I don't know if it's just because I had 30 years of my old life and almost another 30 years now of a new life. And uh, I can tell you what, folks, I lived in that other world with the, the world's knowledge. And I was dumb with the world's knowledge. I was deceived with the world's knowledge. I tell you what, it's a privilege, folks, to understand the, uh, the fact that when I look at myself, I don't surprise myself too much because I know what the Bible has to say about me. When I read Ephesians chapter 2 and I read the, the five D's that I'm dead, diabolical, disobedient, uh, doomed. Uh, what's the fifth one? Anyway. It'll come to me in a second. It's a senior citizen thing. Anyway, I read the, I, when I, you know what, when mankind does what he does, and what, what I did, what I used to do, and even at times I think the way I think, it, it, it shouldn't surprise me, because the Bible tells us that, uh, that our wires were crossed because of sin, right? And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We were singing that hymn in the first meeting this morning. Two wonders I confess. The wonders of His glorious love and my own worthlessness. Well, that goes against the world out there, doesn't it? Because you're everything in the world. It's me. It's me-ism. But the Bible says, no, this knowledge that we have, isn't that a wonderful? Think of it, how wonderful it is. That Christian, that your worldview has changed. You look at the world differently. I see people, and I wouldn't want to trade people, uh, uh, places with them for all the tea in China, and I mean that. They don't have what I have. They don't have the knowledge that I have through Jesus Christ. Because in Him are He had all the treasures of both wisdom and knowledge. Isn't that a wonderful thing? 
That's a privilege. We have so much to be thankful for. The Lord said about Job and his friends at the end of, of uh, in chapter 42, at near the end of Job, you know, when they just one discussion back and forth and trying to figure out why Job was having all these problems. And the Lord said, you know what? He, he said this in, uh, it said, the Lord said, they obscure my counsel without knowledge. Friends, that's what the cults do. They have a zeal. Isn't that what the Lord said about the Israelites? They had a zeal without knowledge. And that's what religion is, folks. And especially the cults. It's zeal without knowledge. Aren't we privileged to know the truth? We need to build on that. We need to build on that. And then thirdly, uh, it says that to this knowledge, uh, we need to add temperance. Temperance is self-control. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. This is a great verse to memorize. The sin and the weight that so easily besets us. Christian, look into your heart for a minute. And God will reveal it. If there's something in there that's not right in this area of self-control, it's a sin or it's a weight that so easily besets. Anything coming to your mind now? Something that trips you up. Here's what Proverbs says uh, uh, about that. Proverbs 25 and verse 28. I love this passage because it really speaks to the problem of self-control. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Think of your adversary, the devil, who walketh about like a roaring lion seeking to devour whom he may. Now what area, what area, Christian, are we the most vulnerable in? It's self-control. It's self-control. Friends, I have seen over my years of Christianity, giants, listen to what I've been saying. I have seen in my years of Christianity, giants in the faith fall in this area of self-control. And God showed me a verse years ago. He made me memorize it because of this. Take heed that he that thinketh he standeth, lest he fall. Meaning, Tony, don't you look at other people. Don't think you're better than other people. Because I'll tell you what, you could fall very easily in any of these areas. Self-control. It's really, what this means is, if we're to have the Lord Jesus Christ reward us at the end of our days, we have to have discipline in our lives. Discipline. It's not, it doesn't come by osmosis. It doesn't come by, you know what, I'm going to put the Bible right beside my bed. 
and uh, it's going to come in there. No, it doesn't work like that. It's discipline in our lives. Any sin or weight that so easily besets us. And I don't care how godly of a person you are, I'll tell you what, you want to take control and stay in control and keep short accounts in this area, friends. Self-control. We need to have self-control. I think of David. Now, folks, if, if, this, if this particular example doesn't affect the average Christian, I don't know what will. When you think of David, a man after God's own heart who wrote the vast majority of the book of Psalms. When you think of the, the deer that panteth after water, so my soul panteth after thee, O Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ said that about David. A man after God's own heart was able to fall in this area of self-control, then who are we? True or false? Who are we? And I've talked to senior citizens, more senior than me, that struggle still in this area. Take heed that he that thinketh he standeth, lest he fall. Friend, we don't want to be a wa washout, do we? We don't just want to wash up to shore in heaven and then go before the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, I've seen people, folks, like I was saying this morning, that started out so well, and then they couldn't get their body under control. And you know what? I call it social work dating. I've seen it happen so many. I was with the young people. The more problems the guy has, the more I like him. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, I'm going to straighten him out. No, you're not. No, you're not. I've seen it happen too many times. You, you, could, you could see that person just walking into danger and you wish you could have just, you know, tackled them before they got into it. But, you know, oftentimes it was too late. Down that path. We need to have self-control. He said then to add this. Patience. The ability to endure when circumstances are difficult. Self-control is handling the pleasures of life. Patience and endurance is handling the difficulties of life. Friends, they're both going to come. They'll probably come in each of our lives, maybe every day. The pleasures of life, what are we going to do with them? Are we going to beat our body? Are we going to put it into subjection? Are we going to discipline ourselves? And then are we going to have patience when trials come? They'll come. The man born of a woman, days are short and full of trouble. I hate to be negative. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. I, I, I had no idea that that was in Scripture because when I first got saved, I'll tell you, it just seemed the first couple of years, I, I just couldn't get over it. Everything that uh, happened was... Uh, it was, I, I could give you a high five every day. I mean, not only that I was excited about the Lord Jesus, it just seemed that everything that I touched after that got blessed. And then reality set in. 
and uh, trials come. And when I look back now at those trials, I realize that Christians are not, they're a lot like tea bags. They're not much good unless they're put into hot water. Because a lot of my faith and my excitement and things like that were, were, uh, they were superficial. And then trials come. Difficulties come. But Peter reminds us in 1 Peter that these trials are for our benefit. And therefore, we need to have patience. My favorite psalm is Psalm 40. And it says this, I waited patiently on the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry, and He brought me out of a horrible pit, even out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon the rock. And He put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, and many will see, and many will hear, and put their trust in the Lord. Now what does that tell you? We need to have patience when we're in the pit. Remember one thing, God will put you through the fire, but Jesus Christ has got His hand on the thermostat. He'll never put that fire higher than you can bear. And the fire is used to purify. And isn't it the truth, Christian? I bet you there are many Christians that could walk up to this pulpit here tonight and give testimony as to how you drew close to the Lord and develop characteristics of the Lord and the, and the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And these things occurred when you were going through the most difficult times in your life. True or false? These things, Christian, if we can give God the glory in our lives through the difficult times that we're going through, the Apostle Paul, as I said earlier today, he learned the secret of contentment in spite of when you read Paul's story in those epistles, my word, what that man went through. It brought him closer to Christ. It made him more Christ-like. It was, it, it, he said it was, it, was, it was good that these things happened to him in lieu of the judgment seat of Christ. That's what Paul says. So friends, we need to develop patience. It will help our faith progress. And then it says, add to this godliness. Godliness. It describes a person who is right with God. What is godliness? It describes a person who is right with God and right with his fellow man. You can think you can be holy, goody-goody two-shoes. But if you can't get along with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and then uh, there, it, it, it's not from God. Intensely practical, isn't it? Godliness is... Uh, uh, here's what Paul says. Just to show you how practical this is. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, I believe, or maybe 4. I have to think about it for a second. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, anyway, 
to those who oppose you, what does it say? You must gently instruct in hope that God will grant them to repentance and lead them to the knowledge of the truth. Gently instruct. That's godliness. I love to argue. I get Jehovah Witnesses. You know, I remember one time I was down at a, at a, a medical conference in, in uh, Las Vegas. And I was out in the morning. I went for my run. Two Jehovah Witnesses there. Okay? I'm taking over this scene. Turn around and say, If you, anyone here that doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed and eat them all. I got a big voice. The Lord, my son introduced me at one time at a conference and said, my dad's the only guy I know that's got a built-in microphone in his throat. Well, that really helps out in the street corners. But you know what? <laughs> I love arguing. It, I, I was more intent on arguing with these Jehovah Witnesses than I was really to witness to them. And you know, God rebuked me about that afterwards. I'm not saying that we shouldn't confront error. Sir, of, of course we should. But we should do it in a gentle way. In a gentle way. Godliness. We need to build that. In, uh, as, and then it says here, here's another very practical thing when it comes to godliness. As much as it depends on you. You know why you know the Bible is true? Because think of what it says here. As much as it depends on you, you should live in peace with all of your, what? Mankind, as much as it depends... Now, sometimes it doesn't depend on you. You can read books and you don't talk about that. They'll say, well, you know what? Just love. Just love. Okay. What if somebody don't love you? <laughs> uh, just live in peace. Well, what if somebody doesn't want to have peace with you? The Bible says, as much as it depends on you. See where the emphasis is put? As if it depends on you then you make it right. And if you can't make it right, then you've done what God has asked you to do in this situation. You try and do everything you can, but it's, it only depends on much as it depends on you. Some people would, you know, if they want to pick a fight and they want to be angry with you and they don't want to take your forgiveness and they don't want to make peace, well, what else can you do? I like that. Because... You know, for some reason, if somebody's out, out of uh, sync with the Lord and they don't want to forgive you, there's nothing you can do about that. Well, what do you do with your enemies? This is godliness. What does the Bible tell you to do with your enemies? Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. What does the Bible tell us to do? Heap burning coals on them. Let the Lord do it. Let the Lord take revenge. That's godliness, folks. That's practical, isn't it? We're not to take revenge at any time. God doesn't ask us in any situation to take revenge. It's not for us to, to, to bring God's judgment on somebody. God, let God do it. Tensely practical, isn't it? Godliness. And then it says brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. I want to bring you to a verse that... Um, well, every any time that uh, I perform a marriage uh, ceremony, which is probably being a couple of hundred now, I use this verse in the vast uh, majority of time. 
And it's found in the uh, book of Ephesians here. And uh, because it, it, it really talks about uh, brotherly uh, kindness. And look what it says, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Now this, friends, for those of us who are married, this ought to be your marriage verse. Okay? And always keep this one. Memorize it. It's a good verse. Um, Look what it says. And be ye kind to one another. Brotherly kindness. You know what? This works in a marriage, you know. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Now talk about Cupid. Tender hearted. And then it says, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Isn't it? Wouldn't it our assemblies be so much better if we practiced this, even amongst ourselves? Forgiving one another and tender-hearted. Can you imagine what our marriages would be like if this was really going on in marriages? Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. You know, folks, I tell you, these things are practical. If you want to know how we're going to please Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, it's not rocket science, folks. This is practical stuff, everyday stuff that Christ wants to see from us. He wants to see His character in us. And we go, man, that is difficult. Yep. (laughs) It's impossible in our own strength. We can't do these things on our own. But we got superpower supercharged by the Lord Jesus Himself, right? He'll do it through us. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, brotherly kindness. You shall know I am a Christian by my bumper sticker. Mm, no. My tattoo? I don't have any. Just I've seen Christians with tattoos. I don't think that's right, but anyway, I don't want to go there. Uh, I listen to the Christian station. That make me a Christian? No. How does the world know we're Christians? By our love for one another. You see how practical Jesus Christ is? He says, that's how the world will know. You're my disciples. If you love one another. Why is that? Because you know what? Let's look look around, folks. Would we, in any other circumstance, well, you probably wouldn't like me. I know what you're thinking, that big mouth. I could really talk to him. No, you know what I'm saying, right? Uh, think of it, there's no, like, you know, maybe you join the Lion. Do you have the Lions Club in, Canada, in the United States? Well, we have it in Canada. I don't know. People join for whatever reasons, right? But you know what? This is different, isn't it? This is a supernatural gathering that we love one another. And that's how the world will know we're different. Because they're going... How come you're hanging around with those weirdos? 
Uh, we love one another. Uh, we don't get to choose, by the way, our brothers and sisters. My brother-in-law says, uh, whenever the Martins get together, he said, oh, the Martians are getting together. Because we're kind of weird, you know. He's kind of right. <laughs> but when the Christians get together to the world, we're a little bit, hmm, you know what I mean? Weird. Because they, they can't understand why we don't do what they do. That we can have fun, uh, and we don't need the things that they do to have fun with, right? And we can have fun, right? We're different. <laughs> the Bible says we're a peculiar people. I don't mean weird, by the way. At least we shouldn't be weird. But we should be so full of love for one another that the world can't mistake that we're different from them. And then finally, the Apostle says to add this, we want to have a rich welcome when we get to heaven. Here's another one. Love. Love. It's agape. It's sacrificial. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant, and being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Brothers and sisters, we need to have that kind of mind to love. A humble mind. Love. It covers, doesn't it? The Bible tells us something about love. It says, you know what it does? It covers a multitude of sins. That's what love does. Of course, Calvary's love covered all of our sins, didn't it? I love that. But we need to reflect the image of Jesus Christ. And oh folks, listen, if we mean business here tonight, if we mean business with Jesus Christ here tonight, let's start to 2011. Let's start 2011 preparing not only for his return and it could be today couldn't it but one thing we know for sure we don't know when he will come but one thing we know for sure that someday you and I all shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we need to be ready for that let us pray Father in heaven, we do thank you again, O God, for thy precious word, Lord. Uh, we're reminded, Father, in Scripture that uh, we've been given every good and perfect gift, and it comes from our Father in heaven. And that includes the word of God, Father, that would tell us, uh, Father, how to live lives righteously, godly, soberly in this present age. And Lord, I pray for each and every one that's come tonight. I pray, Father, for every individual in this room. Is there anyone here tonight, Father, possibly, that has never trusted in you? And, oh God, we pray that that might happen even tonight. And, Father, for those Christians that are here, those dear saints, oh, Father, I pray, perhaps there's one or more here tonight that is struggling with a problem and a sin that so easily besets them. Father, would you 
Speak to that person tonight. And, oh, Father, we want to be ready, not only for the Lord Jesus Christ's return, but we want to be prepared for the very judgment seat of Christ. Oh, God, remind us of these things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.